It's the Wiener Walker Jr. Podcast. It's the Wiener Walker Jr. Podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the Wiener Walker Jr. Podcast. Hey, it's Wheeler Walker Jr. with the Wheeler Walker Jr. Podcast. It's Wheeler here, the Pussy King, the Pop Country Killing Machine. Today's podcast, we got a special guest. His name Dan Tominski. This guy's a motherfucking badass. He plays with Allison Krauss. He's also, um, you guys seen Oh Brother Where Art Thou? I hope you've seen it. You know, George Clooney gets up there and, you know, I'm the man of constant sorrow. Anyway, that's really Dan Tominski singing. So he won a bunch of shit, sold a bunch of records, and he's got a new solo record out. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. You should definitely check it out. It's awesome. But fuck it. I'm not going to talk about him for a second. I'm going to talk about me. So we got these shows. Um, end of the year tour with Joey Coco Diaz and Jamie Wyatt. Fucking show of the year. 15 bucks for this show, man. I told him keep those ticket prices low because my fans are some broke motherfuckers. December 3rd, Los Angeles at the Novo. That's this Sunday, if you're dumb. December 4th, San Diego, the Observatory North Park. Come on, West Coasters, let's go to this. San Diego will be fun. December 5th, Santa Ana at the Observatory. What's Santa Ana? That's Orange County. Our manager is nodding yes. December 6th, we're coming back to Phoenix. Second time this year. Phoenix is a badass place. It's not going to be as fucking hot this time. December 6th, Phoenix at the Van Buren. Is that one 15 bucks too? He says, he nods his head yes, but he's got like a curious look, so it could be wrong, but maybe 18, he says. Um, what, what's three bucks? I mean, you got to spend that on, on fucking uh, condoms and, you know, weed. So fuck it. Anyway, let's, uh, let's why don't we check out the interview? It's a, I think it's a longer one. Maybe we'll edit it down, but he said a lot of interesting shit, man. I've never seen a guy who can play the guitar and I think mandolin too. I mean, this fucker plays everything. He's a. He's a wizard, and um, you guys got to check it out and uh, spread the word about the podcast and spread the word about my shows and my albums, and don't really talk unless you're talking about me, because I don't really give a shit about anybody else. I'm recording this from Music Row. I'm looking out my window at all these fucking losers walking around. Fuck the losers, man. Fuck them all. Oh, yeah, I've also been getting some complaints about that. I turned the comments on my Instagram off, calling me a pussy, but, you know. It ain't about me. When I put a picture up with, a, you know, like a, someone I like, you know, someone I respect, and you guys are talking about their fucking tits and, you know, ass, I got to take the comments off, man. It's not about me. You can make fun of me all you want. I don't give two shits. But don't make fun of don't make fun of my friends or don't make fun of, you know, artists that I admire. It's just not cool. <clears throat> but I guess you being a Wheeler fan ain't cool either. So let's not be cool together. Just stop being a dick is all I'm saying. Um, I'll see you guys at the shows. Oh yeah, both my albums are on sale for six ninety nine on iTunes, and I think Amazon too. That's pretty fucking cheap, man. Six ninety nine each. Buy them both together for what would that be? Thirteen. Thirteen ninety eight. And Taylor Swift's new album is thirteen ninety nine. Save a penny. Don't buy Taylor Swift's album since that fucking piece of shit won't stream it. Save a penny and buy both my albums. I can tell you, I haven't heard his Taylor Swift album, but I can promise you, with everything I got, that my both of my albums together are better than that reputation shit. So anyway, here's my interview with Dan Dan Tominsky, and uh hope you enjoy it. 
It's the We Don't Walk Junior Podcast. It's the We Don't Walk Junior Podcast. Everybody else sucks, man. I am the best. It's the We Don't Walk Junior Podcast. All right, I said we just get started. I'm here with Dan Tominski. You got it. And uh, We Don't Walk Junior here. And um, we were talking about the Starbucks app. We were. We were talking about a little bit of coffee this morning. Yeah, well, here's the thing which you I need to remind you of. Um, one of my favorite bluegrass musicians, Dan Tominski, doesn't know that the Starbucks app, when you use it enough, they give you these this they give you free shit. So you gotta see now. If I had any idea there was free stuff coming my way, I would I would have investigated this app more thoroughly. Yeah, well, the thing is that here's where they get you. They always get you. you they get you because you don't know. <coughs> they, they don't. They don't just give it to you. You gotta say I got some free stuff on. You got to tell them. You got to say, like, oh, yeah, hey, see. they owe me some stuff. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the type, I'm the personality type they invent that stuff for. Yeah, to, cause, yeah. Cause so you don't get anything out That's of it. That's right. I go, oh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm owed some stuff. My new thing is whenever I give them the app, I just go, I think I get some, I have some stuff. Just and say it every time. I say it every time, and then sometimes they'll go, well, I don't see it here. For the most part, they'll be like, yeah. I'm going to ask because I, sh- I most certainly have some, some free stuff. Well, if you've been coming. using it for a long time. Yeah, I've been time using it for a couple, few months, yeah. I'll, be, I'll bet, I'll bet. You take it from me here. We're gonna walk junior. I'll bet <laughs> you start doing that, you won't buy coffee. You won't spend a dollar on coffee for two weeks. It's my guess. Wow, that would well. That's that would be awesome because See I this? spend a lot of money in a two week period. Yeah, this and, interview's on, gonna and, pay for itself. Okay, that's awesome. I'm I'm we'll, happy now. We'll get the word out on on your new record. <laughs> but more importantly, I mean, that's equivalent of selling what eighty, you know, about fifteen thousand records in two weeks of coffee. <laughs> you got it. Anyway, but uh, anyway, so I am again Wheeler Walker Jr. here with Dan Tominski. Been a fan for a long time. Man. Oh, thanks so much. Um, I want to go back, um, kind of talk about your career and fill in the blanks some here. Um, where are you from again? Uh, originally West Rutland, Vermont. Okay, so not like a bluegrass hub or anything. You know? Not uh, <laughs> it was not a sprawling metropolis of bluegrass. No. So how'd you discover it? <laughs> I had family that uh, my parents they were they were. I won't say necessarily bluegrass music fans. They're just music fans. They listen. To, I went to square dances and fiddle contests and country bars and just everywhere there was live music. I went to hear it. You know, I, always t- I always tell people it doesn't matter where you're from because you know, I guarantee you, you grew up with a lot more bluegrass around in Vermont. I'm from Kentucky and I didn't. I don't. Hey, I, we grew up with. I had a lot of bluegrass. I mean, it was. I had. I grew up in a town full of rednecks. I mean, it was same rednecks, just different accent. Yeah, that's the thing. There's red. <laughs> yeah, there's rednecks everywhere. That's I've right. I've learned that. I'm, Sadly, the, the the hard way, but um, although it's been good for ticket sales, I suppose. But yeah, there wasn't a a real good um. I've been hearing that you know my hometown's Lexington, and I've been hearing that the bluegrass scene has been getting kind of restarted up again a little. It probably goes in waves. Well, it's, I'm, whether it does or not, I mean, I'll see, you know Lexington. If if not for Lexington and and Crow, you know, I'm I'm not talking with you right now. I mean, J D Crow was was my hero growing up that was the first record that 0044 record that he made in 75 was the record that i listened to that made me want to play music i mean it's it it stopped me in my tracks and made me say anyway, I'm so when be you a hear a record player. like that what do you do you just there's, there's probably no one who can really teach it to you out there do you just kind of sit there with the record yeah in my case in vermont no there was no banjos there were no banjo players no teachers um i told my parents i wanted a banjo when i was 12 years old um, and I got one a couple months before my birthday. I was able to get a little bit early, and I just sat down and figured it out best I could. I did everything wrong, but I but I figured out how you to play. It was really funny. So um, I mean, I'll t- talk about myself for one second. I always wanted to play guitar, and I my family was out of the house, and I went down to the. Ba- this is a true story. I went down to the basement, 
I like to go to the basement before Christmas, and I would search through the basement and find what my parents had bought everybody. And I standard w- protocol. Yeah, pro- standard protocol, ter- certainly. And I and I saw a guitar, acoustic guitar there. And for the next week up until Christmas, I was I got really excited because it got in my head like I'm gonna get a guitar, I'm gonna start playing, I start yeah. playing. Christmas comes, we all open our presents. The guitar was for my brother, and it kind of at the time it kind of you know hit me like a ton of bricks. Like you know, I got all mad, and I thought about it. I was like, wait a second, but he's right next door. You just go grab it. You know, it wasn't a big deal. I just so I learned. I just grabbed his guitar. But once yeah. you have it in your head that it's coming, you know. It's yeah, sure. Oh, well, I, I know that it's all I could. Th- I mean, from that point, when I heard that banjo on that record, that's all I could think about until I got one. That's why I got it before my birthday a couple months early because I was every day. I was, I just, I nonstop talked about it. And, Couldn't and get it out you, of my head. And, and what do you play in Union Station? I'm a guitar player for Union I Station. I, I mean, I, I play, I, I play guitar and mandolin. I mean, guitar, I actually, t- you know, I, I knew a couple chords on the guitar growing up. Um, but I took up guitar when I joined Allison's band. I mean, I grew up basically a banjo player, banjo mandolin, played mandolin in the band, you know, prior to Allison's band, the Lonesome River Band, for five years. And um, when I got offered the guitar job, it was scary because I was not a guitar player. I didn't, uh, didn't. Um, where, where, so where did own one? Again, going back. So where? How did that? How did that job opening come along? You know, we we just became friends through through hearing each other's music. I was recording with the Lonesome River Band. I was a mandolin player there, and they had heard a recording that I had done called "Looking for Yourself," um, way back when. We're going back now, twenty six, seven, eight years ago. And uh, the, I just got a call one day, asked if I wanted to play some music. And um, at first, I turned, you know, at first I said no, but I became friends with the band, traveled with them a little bit, would guest and sing a few songs with them. We just we became friends, and when the guitar job opened up, but. Uh, she offered me the guitar job, which kind of surprised me. I I was really secretly wanting the banjo job. Yeah, I'm, but a, I'm a huge fan of you know Allison Krauss and Union Station, but I don't know the history of them too much. But was she was she kind of a child prodigy? She was like started when she was. Um, she would never use those words. I mean, she's that's been used largely to describe but her. I'm not yes, going, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. She was just she's just she, a she, her she's first super, records were really young. Oh, right? really young. She got her record deal with Rounder, I think, when she was 14 years old. Okay. and I mean, she was. I mean, yeah, I'll say child prodigy. I mean, she was the best at, you know, every, you know, she was just, it was obvious at a very young age. She was an incredible singer, incredible uh, musician. So it's just, it's always been easy for her. But couple that with the type of passion that she has and, and, and how much she cares about music in general. I mean, it's, it really is her life. I don't know anyone with uh, more scruples or more passion for what they do than, than Yeah, Allison. I've still never seen her live. I got, I got to see her soon, but, um, uh, what was you know so you you joined what year did you join the band i have now been it's been 25 years ago when i joined the band so as someone like me who kind of plays you know a little louder dirtier version of country when you guys just honestly out of curiosity you guys set up is it kind of like all you know mics everywhere is it you know there's we have yeah we have a very unique set up for the the amount of people we play to we really do have a stage full of open mics i mean there's not uh there's not a lot of uh of chords plugged into the instruments with us i mean we've spent most of our career up until really recently with just only microphones yeah that's cool and, yeah and a couple years back you know they they have some some great stuff out there where you can really sound natural and, and amplify and some some great stuff so we've we've incorporated a little bit i mean our our other guitar player ron block 
plugs in, um, does use a little electric, or a bass player plugs in. Um, I have been my whole career, I mean, I am now at, at my ripe old young age of 50 years old, I am now starting to plug in for the first time in my life. Huh. So, yeah, I mean, the the old way of doing it, they would just be all around one microphone, right? Man, when you go back, yeah, you had one microphone that picked up in every direction, and you, you got to kind of mix yourself, which really did add a visual aspect that I think we miss now a little bit in that music. And also probably added a playing aspect, too, because, you know... You, you had to play with the people. You had it was yeah. you had to choreograph, you know, who was who was close it to was the It was a mic. performance. It was a performance. Yeah, I mean, like someone like me, you know, because I've been getting a lot more in the blue recently, like who are the people you say to go, if you were... Young bluegrass listener right here listening. S- s- go back and listen to, you know, blank. Ralph Gosh, Stanley. go black. I mean, there's, <laughs> it's funny. The standards, you know, that I grew up with are still probably the standards today. You know, yeah. Ralph Stanley, Jimmy Martin, Bill Monroe, Larry Sparks. Um, but I had a lot of other bands that were just, you know, under those bands that a lot of people didn't know. Groups like the Lost and Found, the Bluegrass Cardinals, the, you know, Bob Paisley and the Southern Grass. Little, just bands that that were huge in bluegrass music, but the world just doesn't know of. There's there's a lot of great music if you go and uh, yeah, check it out. Yeah, there's also probably some mu- some music, too, that's kind of like in between is that bluegrass or country. Like one of my, my favorite bands gr- of all time is the Leuven Brothers, which... Absolutely. Like How do you, to, to you me, can't that's, ignore them. To me, that's bluegrass to, when uh, I listen to it. It's, you know, it's, it's just pure, you know, acoustic. They would have probably called it country music way back when, but yeah. it is bluegrass music. I mean, it's high harmony singing and acoustic music. I mean, it's, it's all in the same spirit. I mean, I think that's the thing that, that people kind of get caught up a little bit with bluegrass is there's a lot of people that are, that are very, very pure in what they like in bluegrass and they will only really want one style. And I think that there's so much room for music to evolve and to change that I love that there is a traditional style, but I love that people get to merge other sounds and get to take it to yeah, another that's level. That's probably what, um, what kind of kept me away from it a little bit was just, you know, a lot of bluegrass was, a. Uh, you know, it's all about the picking and, the, you know, I was just, I was intimidated by the playing. It can be a little, it can be a little close-minded when, you know, when it, when you, yeah, you need to, you really need to widen your margins a little bit, open up your, your But as an audience and, member, and, I still, I love seeing the great Oh, players. there's, there's nothing like, like live picking. I mean, that's what got me into it. And I tell people in most all interviews that I do, if they, if I'm ever asked, you know, is there anything else you want to add? I tell people, go hear live music. It, you you it touches you in a different way than the than the recorded music you can hear. Yeah, it's still I mean, you, hard to you know, if you're not in Nashville or Kentucky. It's sometimes still hard to go. Find, you know, find. it can be hard to. Well, I grew up in Vermont. I mean, I grew up in a place where there was not a lot of bluegrass music, and I we had about a three or four hour radius where we would drive. I mean, you you, you know, if you if you want it, it, you'll find. If you it, want it, it's around. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I was like I said, I don't know. For some, I grew up in the '80s in Kentucky, and it was just not really. You know, I guess. It could go both ways. It, was it was it not around, or was I not? You know, was I was I rather would I rather was I listening to more punk rock or stuff? I don't yeah, know. I think you were probably listening. I mean, it was around. I mean, for sure, because I grew up just before. You know, I was I was a few years earlier than that. And again, if I could find it in the part of the country where I lived, I mean, I, I all I could all I could dream of growing up you was to loved, be able to. Yeah. Move. Oh, I wanted to move to the south so bad. As soon as I was old enough to move, I moved to uh, southwestern Virginia. Moved to Virginia so I could be in that part of the, you know, I wanted to be in that bluegrass part of the world. And, of course, 
once I got, you know, once I moved away to hear it, then I started playing. So I didn't really go hear, hear a lot of music, you know, live. Then I was just out. Ever since then, I've been traveling yeah, I mean, and playing I'm, myself. I, I mean, I also, another artist I love is Ricky Skaggs, who kind of did, did He was on that original record of J.D. Crow in the oh, New okay. South. It was J.D. Crow, Ricky Skaggs, Tony Rice, Jerry Douglas. Well, that Skaggs and, and Rice Bobby's records is one, is one of my favorites. Exactly. I mean, it was, Ricky was one of the voices that, uh, he was the undeniable voice, the tenor voice of, of tenor voices in this music. And he was I one mean, of the few, I guess, who did that and country and successful when i remember when he went you know it's funny because i'm dealing with it a little bit now you know i've been a bluegrass for my whole life i just made a record that's really different from anything i've done and i remember way back in the 80s when ricky made a country record i remember saying how could my favorite singer make a country well, like sure there was i was i was like secretly like hidden i was crushed it took me a while before i actually went back and listened to that stuff and realized Wow, you know, like he, we needed that at that time. Yeah, it's, it was it's very fun, important. It's, it's funny to think about, you know, you can listen to those Ricky Skaggs country records and think that there were people who were like, what the hell are you doing with this crazy wild music, which sounds so tame now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I was one of those guys. Yeah, interesting. So, anyway, so you're, you're, you join Union Station, and where does, I know you get this question all the time, but I got to ask it. The Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Where does that come from? Man, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was, um, that came along at a time when uh, the the Coen Brothers, um, T Bone Burnett, was producing the music for this Coen Brothers movie, and they were they were looking in Nashville just for talent. They were trying to recruit people to play the music. They know the they, they wanted like kind of old timey bluegrass for the record. Oh, the very much so. They had done so much research. They wanted authentic '30s. Like they, so they, they were, wanted period music. They probably went to Allison Krauss, then, right? They actually went to Denise uh, Denise Stiff, who was our manager at the time, and they asked her for some help on finding people. Of course, we were on the list. Uh, Allison Union Station. Because T-Bone Burnett worked with her, you know. Absolutely. Well, everybody just, we went and tried out like everyone. I mean, Allison, Union Station, myself, all the bands that are on that record, everyone just went and, and tried out like you would do in a situation like that. And um, it was at our initial tryout that we had finished our thing and um, our manager had mentioned to T-Bone that, you know, you still haven't uh, cast George Clooney's voice yet. Why don't you give Dan a chance? Oh, wow. Yeah. And cause that, that it was... was so out of the blue. Like, I didn't expect it. I had no idea it was coming. And they said, well, you want to come and try out? And I, I laughed because I thought that was the uh, there's no possible way this could work. But I said, yeah, it was sure. funny because I, I was one of those guys who was watching them. I watched the movie, obviously, like everyone else. And I watched the movie and I see George Clooney singing. I'm like, that can't be his voice. Then I had the opposite. Then I watched the Grammys. And I see you singing George Clooney's voice. I was like, that can't be the face to the, <laughs> you know, it, like the whole thing became so. It is. A, it was an odd how, how all that worked out. You know, I'd never done anything where I had to imagine, you know, any visuals while, while I was singing and the fight seat breaks out. So you have to, we had to stop and do, there was a, there was a lot to the, to the making of that. And when it came down to filming, George wanted to sing it. I actually got to go in a studio and record that song with Clooney. Um, and, Oh, did he try to? He tried to sing it. Uh, he he wanted to sing it. You know, after we were we were filming, I think in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and uh, we had a day off, and they rented a studio and said, you know, if you want to go and just do this with George, and I was so excited. That was actually the big thrill for me. Uh, Clooney's a Kentucky guy. So. Man, the and chance I mean, I mean, the he, chance to sing with Clooney and play with Clooney, I thought that was the I was coolest say, thing. You know, he, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Rosemary Clooney's is no, name, and right? and other you know, contrary to what people say, George can sing. You know, I was in the studio with him. I mean, the man can sing. It would just it was one of those deals where we had a day off and time was limited you know he tried it a couple times and the deal with with the, all the music on oh brother where art thou it had to be one take pure no fixes 
you, you kept the mistake. Whatever happened, happened. It had to be real. Yeah, I guess so his downfall is probably just not having so, 30 years of it, Correct. So when, when it came down to recording it, you know, he would mess up or mess up a word. or a shit. He, I remember a couple times he stopped the song and said, Dan, start it one more time. I made a mistake. Start it one more time. And I think I only started the song maybe three or four times, and he took his headphones off and said, you know, what am I doing? He said, all the music's done. I'll make you a deal. I'll act. You sing. And he shook my hand, and I went home completely bummed out. Had huh. no idea that I almost, you know, lost the biggest life-changing recording of, of you know, yeah, that I could that was, have ever had. That was what probably the biggest, one of the biggest albums of the decade, right? That was one. That was uh, easily. I mean, that that album, um, that album changed the music for the for the years to come. I mean, you yeah, know, I mean, it's, it was it's a strange. huge that's influence. What, that's an example I always give of just you know, um, you know, those the people would say, you know, people don't want to hear bluegrass, blah blah blah. But it's just like. You're just not giving it to them. If you give it to them, they're going to love it. A lot know? of people that say they don't want to hear bluegrass really don't know what they're saying they don't want to hear. I mean, yeah. I've gr- I've grown up in bluegrass. But that, and but that, was, I, that was a bigger stage for it. And once, oh, they, once, they, once it, they heard it, they wanted it. What it was was a, it, it, it was a reason for people to turn their heads and look. Yeah. It gave people something so uh, absurd, like George Clooney singing in a movie. Like, it just made people look that wouldn't have normally looked otherwise. And then once they did, lo and behold, you know, a lot of people like Bluegrass that didn't know it. Yeah, so just for people who don't know, Man of Constant Sorrow, George Clooney singing, that was you singing. Because um, I don't, you'd, I mean, that's another thing, too, with the music you grew up with. was a lot of doing those old standards, all that stuff all the time. Because I'm trying to think. A lifetime of it, yeah. I would probably, my background, I probably heard Dylan sing it first. Yeah, very possible. Uh, uh, me too, and truth. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, did you? Did you? I forget what else. What else on that? Was that just? Was that the only one you sang from that record? Uh, that was. Yeah, that was my only. I mean, there was a couple versions. There's a solo version with just a guitar and a vocal, and then there's the band version. Um, there was one more instrumental version, Man of Constant Sorrow, actually on that record as well that John Hartford played, um, on the guitar. So there was actually three versions of Man of Constant Sorrow on, on Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Um, I'm trying to think too. Yeah. Um. So I must. I must have seen. I'm not being crazy here. I saw you on the Grammys playing it, right? Correct. We got to. We got to perform the song on the Grammys. I mean, that's the way that blew up. No one could have seen it coming. I mean, that's uh, a big record in bluegrass. You know, you sell twenty, thirty thousand records. You know, it's huge. And that record went on to sell, I think, right at ten million worldwide, which no one in bluegrass music can. That crazy. It's yeah. it's insane. Yeah. More people bought the record than probably saw the movie. <laughs> it's it was the the soundtrack was a bigger deal than the movie yeah um so did, did that kind of change everything for you in some ways it changed everything in in a lot of i mean first of all i was you know no one i i don't think that plays bluegrass music is used to making any money and that that was a, a big generator so it was just it was the shock factor that that followed was it was you know it's hard to process what goes along with that and then you then you become aware that there's a big responsibility that comes along with it because now people see you as in a certain way in a certain light now you mean something to someone where prior to that it really doesn't matter what you do when you walk on stage if it's good they like it if it's bad they walk away now they have an expectation so the responsibility picks up and you know the the people that come to the shows change you know the demographic of who you're used to seeing in your audience changes you're playing to different people so a lot changed with that that i never could have expected I mean, did you, um, so that, you know, the al- album comes out, 10 million copies, Grammys, was CMAs too? CMAs. The whole thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You won, you won, I assume you won the Grammy? 
Yes. And did you win a CMA too? Uh, yeah, we kind of swept everything that year. It was you goofy. See, you, year. Yeah, you got a you got a tro- whole trophy case. You had to buy a trophy case probably too. <laughs> um, and you had to buy buy. I bought one. It's empty. It's not using. I'm not using it for anything. But you bought a trophy case and filled it up. So d- after that, did you go back to Union Station, or did you start? Is that when the solo thing started? Never did want to do anything outside of Union Station. I mean, there were offers after that to do records, you know, to to take the next step, kind of in that direction. But honestly, it was nothing that I wanted to do. I felt like at the time, um, I was, you know, created to fill the role that I was filling in Union Station. And I mean, anything that I got to do peripherally was just a bonus. And there was no, I mean. Maybe you wouldn't say, but there's no like animosity from the other guys in the band. Like this, Dan's got a hit record out here, you know. You know, I th- I, I think it's just more like just uh, shock. I don't yeah. th- I don't know. You know, like we. I am so. <laughs> I have been so lucky an entire you know career. I mean, 25 years playing with people that I love so much outside of the music we play. That's probably the biggest. Oh, that's that's the biggest gift of this band that I've been in. I mean, I love the music we played. I, I, I do. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But the people outside of the music that we played, the people in that band, I hold them in the highest regard through and through. They're, they're was, people. So was there, was there maybe some ribbon? Like, you, like you're like you busy after a show, like, hey, man, you can't pick up your guitar because you're, now that you're a big no, star. No, well, see, here's the thing. Whenever any one of us have done anything outside of the band that has trickled back toward the band, I mean, the, the band profile raises. So, yeah, so I mean, when, so you know, how, how can anyone be upset when you're used to seeing so many ticket sales, now all of a sudden they've tripled, and now you, and you're selling, you know, five times the amount of merch, and, you're, and, and it's just when something grows, grows that much, there's so did, much trickle down in the peripheral that, that I think everyone's the, like just um, thrilled. Did the Robert Plant, Alison Krauss thing help with that probably too? When Alison, again, Alison went out and had a huge record with, with Robert Plant. Well, I love and that record. Though. As it, as, and, and now we go out and play Union Station shows, it's the same thing. People, it just everything anyone has done. you play some done. of the songs when you guys play? Uh, oh yeah, we had to, I mean, yeah, we try to cover some of everything that we have out. I mean, it's, it's become a challenge anymore that we've been playing so long. It's hard to, to touch every record and still want to play the new stuff you have. So, but yeah, we absolutely played. Some what are some other influences of yours that people may not think about, like? Did you listen to much rock and roll growing up? Or? Okay, all my friends listened to rock and roll. So here's so my deal. I grew up um, almost completely without listening to any music that wasn't live. I didn't own a stereo. I didn't have a tape player, a CD. You know, I didn't do. I didn't really have any recorded music. But I loved live music, so I listened to all the live music I could. Now my friends, none of my friends listened to bluegrass. They were yeah. all Zeppelin and all Zeppelin, ACDC, um, you know, Def Leppard. It was there was a lot. It was all rock and roll. I love the heavy heavy rock and roll, like yeah. percussion, the big drums, big guitars, like that. Just freaking it. It feels like I I love the. the so was it weird? You know, your buddies weird for seeing you like playing these shows where the audience is sitting down and you're like. Man, my friends never really saw me play. It would it was so rare. I mean, I traveled. I never hardly ever played anywhere near where I where Did I live. My many, friends many rock never shows saw me. Growing up? I never saw a rock and roll show. Not one. I was the only one of my friends that didn't see a rock and roll show. Yeah, I mean never one. Strange. I mean did you I was so but like I was it was it was it killed me because every weekend they would go to see, you know, whoever was in Aaron town in Boston Blair, yeah. or somebody, right? And I was out, you know, I was, I mean, I, I was somewhere every week 
literally every weekend I was somewhere listening or playing Who's live taking music. you to that stuff? Your parents. My parents. Absolutely, mm-hmm. my parents. And then I started playing music with, I had an older brother I played some music with for for a few years. So, yeah, I, I from when I was five or six years old until I moved away, I, I heard live music every week somewhere. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I it was a rare thing for me to see, you know, because I only really... We would drive to Cincinnati, which wasn't that far, or we'd drive to Louisville to try to see stuff. There wasn't that much stuff. I mean, the big stuff that I was, you know, Guns N' Roses would come to Rupp Arena or whatever it sure, was. Or, sure, sure. Pretty far from, you know, bluegrass music. But, um, you know, I didn't say, I think I need I needed those. I need to go. To the, I spent so much time in the record store flipping through stuff, which sounds like you didn't do so much of. I didn't, but it wasn't necessary. I didn't have a plan or any any you know reason that I did this. It was just the the circumstances that I grew up with. Didn't have a lot of live music. I got to hear it every week, so I had no. I didn't Jones for for records or to play. Like when I was home, I had an instrument in my lap trying to figure out how to make the sounds that I just heard. You I know, guess a couple yeah, days you heard ago. it every, live every week. Probably not. You don't need the records in some way. It it both helped and hurt me. I mean, I think overall it helped me because having getting to see it and then go home and have to remember it, you remember it a little differently than you actually heard it. So you ultimately kind of you you make your own style. You know, you end up have you know stylistically doing things that are unique to yourself because you don't really remember how to copy it. Yeah, exactly. I always I always feel like the best musicians are kind of the self taught ones. I feel like the same thing. I mean, I, I, I would go back and, and take some music classes if I could because I think it could have helped me in some areas. But all the people I know that are my favorites, it's not because of any classes they took. They just simply were born with a passion that they could not. Yeah, and then that, they get that, their own sound. Feel, because, yeah, you know, man, they like, just, it burns in them. You, you, uh, you're like, what's that chord you're playing? He's like, I don't know. I was a kid, you know, just some weird <laughs> That's chord. That's a story I, of my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so get... So about that time, you know, Oh Brother comes out, you're still with Union Station, you're starting to get offers to do solo records and stuff? Yeah, there was there was a lot of attention, you know, following Oh Brother. Be- I mean, it, it became such a big deal that uh, I had to ask myself if that was something I was even considering was it doing, and it just lo- wasn't. You loved the Union Station so much, you were just waiting for a break for that probably to... If, if, if you wanted to do anything to see. I just, honestly, I just really never did. It was one of those things, like, I felt like I've always kind of rode the wave, whatever was under me. When I found myself in the middle of Union Station, I've never been so filled by music and, and so challenged by what I had to play. There was just no part of me that was looking to do anything else. So when did that first the solo record thing come from? The first solo record that I did was had nothing to do with wanting to uh, go out on my own or do anything in a, in a solo sense, but I had a friend, Tim Austin, who had started a record label in uh, southwestern Virginia, and he was, he was just looking to put, he, he, he needed to put out a record, and I had a little bit of time and knew a lot of people that I, you know, I had an opportunity to record with a bunch of my heroes and friends, and, and, and so I made that first record, uh, Carrying the Tradition, or excuse me, uh, Carry Me Across the Mountain way back when just to kind of help my buddy out and for the fun of making you know making a bluegrass record um didn't really consider there was no there was never any solo intention behind that did record. you tour behind that one at all? i i didn't i did a couple show i uh, t- uh technically i think i went and booked maybe like three or four festivals and we went and played but i didn't i i couldn't say that i toured behind it no the, when I had spare time, we would play a show or two to have fun. But I never toured with. It was never a record that I could reassemble the band to tour with. So for me, you know, I would have to skip ahead to the next and only other solo record I've done in that bluegrass world, which was Wheels, that I did like maybe ten years later, um, a long time later. Which again, I found myself. This was around that time that Allison and Robert Plant were touring. Okay. 
I found myself with a with a year off and thought, you know, this would be great to to go out and, and see if I couldn't play a little bluegrass music. How'd, so, that, how'd that go? So that was like the most fun I ever had. I, we got our old mandolin player from Union Station who used to be with the band when I first joined, Adam Steffi. One of my favorite musicians in the world, uh, Ron Stewart, another one of them, Justin Moses, and our bass player from Union Station, Barry Bales. Kind of my dream team yeah. of bluegrass guys. I mean, it was it's my favorite rhythm section in the world. I was so spoiled I got to... to tour with those guys for a couple years and we made the record wheels and the purpose for the record wheels again it was not to have a solo career but it was because i knew i wanted to go and tour with these guys i wanted to have a record that had those guys on the record when you know when we did our shows so we we made that record specifically for that band of people so was it the standards again or was it originals too it was it was a mix of both when i went in to record wheels you know we started booking shows and i think at the first day in the studio i only had like two or three songs that i knew we wanted to do we literally found that material while we were in the studio oh, we were making cool. phone calls we were writing songs we were trying you know some of that stuff like we wrote the day we recorded some of that stuff we people sent us the day we recorded um how'd you have that freedom was did you know this was it your studio or is it well, um, no, we knew, I knew that I had the first day, I knew I had enough stuff to keep us busy that day. So we, and, and during the course of that day, we found enough stuff to keep us busy the next day and we but you, just but you weren't, wrote it. You know, what, there was no on the clock hurry up. And well, there's an, there's an on the clock. I mean, we were paying, you know, stu but, but as long as we were, you know, as long as the red button was on, you know, we're, we're good. The only time you're really worried is when you have nothing to record. So again, we were fortunate that we found the stuff yeah, that I we needed in time. Yeah, you know. I get worried about going to the studio without being prepared because I see that's my money just like right it's down. yeah it is it's one of those things I've which, 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 which kills me I, I'd love to just go in and just dig yeah around. my tombstone will not read here lies a man that really had it together you okay, know it's well. it's that's that's never been my style well, it's, it's, it's worked out pretty well well I I tend to have enough OCD that I can submerse myself in whatever I'm is immediately in front of me and not really worry about the you know, the peripheral yeah, I too got much. I OCD pretty bad, but it goes the opposite way, which is, you know, I'll be in the studio and, you know, producer, my buddy Dave goes, you know, we should, this needs one more verse. And I go, well, I wrote three extra verses because I don't have, I don't have time to get the inspiration sure. in the studio. I just don't have, or I should say, I don't have the money it's to get expensive. to get inspired to write another verse. So I'll just overwrite the song to make sure that if we need the, basically all my lyrics are, you know, f 10 pages, you know. Just to just to overdo it, just to make sure I'm ready. But also it's easy. I'm just I'm just rhyming swear words. Now. I already I know what it is. <laughs> um, so let's let's get to the new record, which is what you're here, you know, to let people know about. Um, where did this one start? And it, well, actually, let me go back one second. Which is, I heard you had a hit with a what's Avicii? How do you Avicii? Oh yeah. Where does that come from? Okay, Avicii, uh, Swedish DJ. Um, I mean, if you could line up 20 Swedish DJs, I wouldn't be. Yeah, I, when I got, so I get a call one day um, from my assistant who says, we just got, someone reached out, wanted you to do a song on their record named Avicii. Are you familiar with this artist? And I, I said no. And she said, well, he's in, he plays EDM music. And I honestly had to ask what EDM music yeah, I was. I did not know what EDM stood for. So she explains electronic dance, you know, that stuff that goes, and I thought, oh, okay. Hey, yeah. thank you, but no thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just said no thanks immediately. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't do ecstasy, but you yeah, know. I said right, That's exactly. I don't do X, so I'm not going to do this. Uh, she said, "Would you like to? Would you like me to send you the song before we give an official no thanks?" 
And I said, well, sure, send me the song. So as she sent send me the song, I text my daughter, Catherine, who's at the time, she's, she's a teenager, she's 19, she listens to everything. I say, hey, you ever heard of Avicii? And she texts back, she says, yeah, Swedish DJ, why? I said, he wants me to do a song on his new record. And she texts back one word, bullshit. And I looked and I was like, this is my sweet little girl, what the yeah. hell? You know, and I look and I start to respond and the phone rings and it's her and she's like, dad, what in the hell are you doing? Are you serious? Like, is this a joke? Are you punking me? What is, do you know who that is? Like, she went on and on and on. I'm with you, yeah, I, I didn't she know. Went, no, she went on and on. She was like, listen, let me, she goes, if, quote unquote, she goes, if you don't do this, I'm out. We're done. She said, you don't do this song That's with him. Threat, yeah. Right, right. I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So anyway, I'm, I'm happy that she's so excited and the phone buzzes and I know that the email comes with the song. So I say, let me, let me listen to the song and. I'll let you know what it's what it's like. And the bottom line was I listened to a song that I really, really liked. I mean, it was perfect for me. The, the, the content, the key that it was in, everything about it just made sense for me. I didn't have a version of how it ended up coming out. I mean, you know, when I heard what it ended up being, I was blown away. I mean, I had no idea what was going to come. Where so did you record on. it? I recorded it here in Nashville at, uh, at a studio called The Dog House, and I recorded it just basically to a click track. There was no, I didn't, there was no music. Was he, I, was he, or was he like, no, we, no, we were, we were sending stuff back and forth LA to Nashville. Um, so I never met him at the time and didn't know what the song was going to sound like. I, I just knew Swedish the keys. DJs go to Vegas and make like $10 million a weekend or something crazy. Like that might be about that much, but something crazy. It's kind of ridiculous. I got to go to ultra fest and, and, uh, and perform that song to, you know, 60, 80,000 people. And, they're making some kind of money there because Avicii bought a hotel just for the week. He bought a hotel, like a several-story hotel. To, yeah, and to made it the Avicii Hotel, I think, just for the week. And then when Ultrafest is over, I think then they well, sell it's it. Well, cool, it's cool to be open-minded, you know, because, like, you know, for a lot of people, Avicii and Union Station are should hate each other. You should, you know, <laughs> it, shouldn't, like, it shouldn't make sense. It shouldn't make sense. So it's cool that that one, uh, you know, had well, happened. It's it's really interesting. So what I ultimately learned from that was was something that you know, and I'd done it a little bit in the past, but never quite so far. I got to step outside of the box, but this time I got to step way outside of the box, and I got to and 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 there was a reward I could have never dreamed. I mean, I would have never sought that out myself, you know, had had that offer not come in. So I looked back and thought, wow, it was it was so worth you know taking that risk, you know, taking a risk. It was it, it paid off. I mean, that's so weird. That's that's two times that you're just. Maybe it's a lesson for me or other musicians to think about, which is you got your head down playing and things are just coming at you, you know? Yeah, sometimes you got to pick your head up and then ask, yeah, is this because yeah. I've turned other stuff down, you know, in the past. I mean, I've I've had other songs that were that were presented to me to do, you know, that that ended up going on to be big songs that that didn't work out. So it's 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 Billie funny. Jean. I look back. Well, what was the last big song that was proposed to me was. uh was a, oh gosh I'm not I'm not even gonna think of this the song the uh, uh, whiskey lullaby was was pitched to me by a by a a publisher a while back and I remember when I got to this part in the song whiskey lullaby and I said there was a really graphic line where it said he put the bottle to his head and pulled the trigger and finally blew away his memory and I thought whoa I said that's so graphic what if we said finally drank away his memory and I remember the person who was pitching me the song put her hands on her hips and said well you're not just gonna change the words to a Bill Anderson song. I'm sorry. 
and that was so I was like, well, you know, you know, I thanked them, and it was one of those I walked mm-hmm. away. And then, of course, Allison Krauss and Brad Paisley went on to have an enormous hit with with Whiskey Lullaby, which I actually got to go and sing on. And it was so funny. I go in the studio and I'm singing on this song and it comes to this line that I'm so that I that I turned the song down because it was too graphic and someone had changed the line to what I said. Finally drank away. They changed Give the your, line to what you need a you need a piece of that publishing. <laughs> I don't, but it did but it made me think Maybe I can write a song. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I have a. Maybe I understand this better than I'm giving myself credit for. Well, let's talk about the new record for a few. Okay, the new record was born out of writing songs. The new mm-hmm. record, so I can. I'll back up just a little bit. So, we're touring Union Station. We finish uh, our second summer. We had toured with Willie Nelson for for two summers and just had the best tour you could ever want. Love the crew. Love the band. Everybody. Just the best time. We are looking at um, about another. Hang out on the bus with him. Um, little bit. Cause that's that's my. I mean, I don't remember. We walked on. I re- I remember walking on. I don't remember leaving. Being handed something, and then, then the, you know, yeah, I remember clearly walking on that bus. So, we leave, and we're done. I know I've got about a year off, and I and I try to now. The the last time I had that, I put together a band and toured. Um, didn't make a ton of money, you know, touring for that year. And I thought a year off, I you know, I wanted to do something that would be just, you know, I wanted to spend my time well. And decided I would seek out a, a publishing deal and write songs. I thought, I'm in Nashville, all these songwriters. I know most of these people, I'm going to try to write songs. So uh, I was very fortunate that uh, Barry Coburn at 1010 Publishing signed me to a publishing deal and got me, you know, going to, to writer's rooms, almost like we're sitting in today. I mean, we're here on Music Row yeah, this I start, morning. I started to do some of that stuff, and I will say, I don't know about you, but the first few times, because I've written the fir- my first record, but just me writing by myself, and the when I start doing those sessions, it's weird. It's like, you know, it's like having sex on a first date or something. It's very know. strange. Yeah. I, when I took my pub deal, I wanted to write, I said, mostly by myself. And he said, would you be open to co-writes? And I said, well, sure. But, you know, I I like to take my time and really exhaust what it can be. So I really like writing by myself. But I found when I was started to meet these new people, as awkward as it was, um, I ended up going places I would never have gone by myself. You know, the ideas were outside of my box yeah that's that's the, w- the way i looked at it which is you know now that i've started writing with other people is like they can only make it better because you can always go back to your version but they can all you know you 100 percent get inspiration and ideas and you go places the right people yeah yeah that you wouldn't go so uh, my first i don't know how many rights so so i take this deal coming off of that avici hit so every songwriter that i sit in a room with the first thing out of their mouth is hey let's try to write something for avici you know let's do and I really, that was, it's not my wheelhouse. It's not how my mind, th- you know, I mean, honestly, even though I grew up bluegrass, I was really, I took a pub deal to write mainstream country music, you know, popular radio music. Which is, by the way, got a lot more of each, you know, than it used to. Yeah, right. So we're, I'm, I'm writing, writing, writing. Um, I have no idea, you know, what I'm writing, but I'm, you know, I'm just trying to find my, I'm learning. I'm, I'm just learning every day. I'm, I'm in with these songwriters who are great. Every day that I leave, I feel like, I've done something that I that I'm so proud of. Like it was just a it was a new thing for me. Songwriting was I never spent my time songwriting. So I ultimately get in a room one day, and this is where this new record that I did kind of was born. I found myself in a room with Jesse Frazier and Josh Keir, um, two amazing songwriters, a lot of success on both sides. And we start writing one morning at eleven o'clock, and we work from eleven to one thirty. And we said, let's evaluate where we're at. And we and we look at the song and we asked honestly guys do we love what we're doing or should we go home and we all kind of agreed 
yeah, we're, we're trying to dress up a turd. Let's just stop. Let's just, let's just stop. So we're packing up our stuff, and Jesse Frazier goes, before we go, it's still kind of early. Do you want to hear one more groove? And we said, well, you know, sure. So he presses play on the computer and plays what was what is now the bones, or what was the bones of what is now Southern Gothic. And he played this. It was just a real dark, vibey, weird thing. And I remember Josh Keir going, well, that's really dark. You know, it sounds kind of gothic. You know, it's kind of goth. And I remember Jesse saying, well, if Dan's going to sing it, it's got to be Southern Gothic. And we looked at each other and we went, wow, Southern Gothic was like an interesting title. And we all just started chasing down that that path. We got on, you know, we Googled what is Southern Gothic and realized there was an uh, an enormously deep well of information and, and subject and content that what, we could draw from. What does that what did you find? Southern Gothic, I mean it's a it's a whole movement. I mean it's every type of of immorality and every type of thing going wrong and every you know, everything from from mixing of the gene pools, I mean from the physical to the metaphysical to spiritual. I mean it's just a lot of like dark you know it's just it's, it's just eye opening. You yeah, because I'll anyone... say when I when I listened to you to the new record, I was, I don't want to say I was shocked, but I was definitely blown away by the sound. Just because it's you know, different with your name everything. with your with your name, I'm like, oh, here comes the bluegrass music, and it was just kind of, and I, I'm not I'm not gonna lie, I give you know a lot of shit to the you know the kind of pop country world and stuff, but to me this is a little different. You know, this is no no no. I think what it is is, you know, I I don't want there to be a double standard. You know, like you know. Why is Radiohead allowed to experiment, but you know, a country music musician isn't allowed to? You know, sure. And like there was what I heard was you know a bluegrass player kind of messing around in the studio, you know, trying new sounds. Well, this is exactly what happened. So I found myself in a room with people that had vision and courage, and and uh, you know and balls, and said, you know, let's go, let's make something different. Uh, f for me, I'm I'm like I'm always excited at the chance to do something I haven't done before. Like, that's that's the beauty of, of music is the exploration, you know, find, finding your way. So anyway, from 1.30, we started to, to work on this song, Southern Gothic. From 1.30 to 4.30, uh, we wrote, recorded, sang, put all the harmonies, all the everything you hear on the title track of that album was created between 1.30 and so 4.30. That was the track. We, we just sent a demo to mix it. We literally kept everything from that three-hour period. And I remember driving home now from this right. Now, and I've said this a little while ago, no desire for a solo career. That's just not, it does not burn inside of me. That's not, I don't, I don't pine for that spotlight. It's just not me. Um, but I'm driving home and I'm listening to this song. And for the first real time, I mean, for the first time truly, I'm I'm jealous. I mean, I'm just I'm jealous. I don't want to give the song away. I know it's got to be pitched. I know someone else is going to record it because I feel like it's a super song. And I'm just for lack of better words, I'm just jealous. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm thrilled, but I'm also bummed out. So I send it to my publisher. Everybody responds immediately at the same time. Smash. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Wow. You know, a lot of huge feedback. And it just kind of my this pit of my stomach just sank, and I was just like, yeah, you know, just it is what it is. So I I let it go, continued on, and and found myself more eager to go down that unexplored territory, you know, yeah. and into that unexplored territory with the other people I was writing songs with. Yeah, guys, it, to me, I don't know how how would you explain the record to people? I mean, it's hard to explain music anyway, but yeah, exactly. This is probably the most difficult piece of music I've ever had to explain in that it I is such a culmination. I would say for me, too, because I was just like, you know, it almost sounds like, you know, 
sounds like kind of what it is, which is a bluegrass player just dicking yeah, around. It's, you know? it's it's swampy, poppy, country, gospely, churchy, choiry. You know, I, I mean, it's. I, ain't, it's I never, mountain. I it's, never heard, and that's that's to me the biggest compliment I can give is I never heard anything like it. Well, this is this is how I've gone on to explain it more often than not is that I I ended up with a with a well of material through these song rights that I've did with with a bunch of songs that I thought um, didn't occupy any real estate that you know they 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 were on fresh ground there was they were on unoccupied real estate I mean all that stuff sounded so different to me and once a few of these songs came together and and I started realizing you know that it was that I mean I became so passionate for this stuff. When I got the offer, you know, the songs would go across the desk of, of different record labels, I'm sure different 20 publishers, year, 20 different years people. years ago, the idea of you even playing anything with electronic drums would have, you would have laughed at them, I'm sure. Oh, I, I don't, I don't know if I would have. La- I just, I just would have shrugged my shoulders and said, you know, you show me how it can work, and we'll cross that bridge when we come to, you know, like, um, yeah, I would have never imagined in a million years like this again to even say, like, I, I, I'm finding myself now. Um. 180 degrees different direction i want to go and tour with this stuff i'm i don't necessarily want the spotlight for what it for what it represents but i have a body of music that the only way i can honor it the only way i can i can give it what it deserves for me is to tour with it is to own it playing a tour now oh absolutely i've I've assembled a band we've i've got uh, i got a group of guys that i'm so excited to play with figure you know live versions and uh, some of this stuff absolutely we've 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 been in the rehearsal halls going through this stuff um it's the most i mean not the most fun i've had but it is as much fun as i've had playing music getting to play with with the big drums and the big you know i mean we're we're you guys know does does union station play doesn't have a drummer right um we have toured with some percussion in the past but uh no we're we're five piece acoustic um, we've gone out with keys and drums in the past, um, to, to experiment, you know, yeah. play around, but no, we're, we're essentially five piece, no drum. Um, yeah. Cause I keep thinking, I'm trying to think what to, on my back to my back to me, which is always the important subject. I was like, maybe I should do a, a bluegrass record next. I keep that's in my head right now. I'm like, but then, but when I get, when that crowd gets there and they're ready f- screaming, like I, I gotta have drums, you know? So I just. It depends on who you're playing for, you know. I mean, you gotta. It's it's one of those things that I've only recently in my life even considered to who I'm playing for. Like I have grown up so tunnel vision with the type of music that I played. Didn't consider if there was one person, five people, a hundred people, ten thousand in the crowd. Just never mattered, man. I I played music to fill myself, feed myself. That was you know that was it. So to consider, you know that. Like this, this record that I'm making, Southern Gothic. It's a, it's a body of music that, that is. <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to pick the crowd. It's like hard to say, well, this is the crowd I play this to, because it, you don't go to a bluegrass crowd and say, I'm going to play you this music, but you also don't go to a pop crowd and totally, say, I'm going to yeah, play I mean, this music. Like... And your average country crowd, you just don't, you know. So it's, it, it really requires some, some latitude from people. Well, take that, some balls too, because it's just like you know. You just chose your own lane. It's something completely. Well, know. this is this is what I see. You know, I, it's funny. I've been reading some comments, and I try not to. For the most part, I, I stay away from that. I, I I really don't. But it's funny in this one. Um, what I've loved the most, actually, about this is that I, all the comments have been either five star or one star. Like, there's nobody's lukewarm you, on this you thing. What's funny is that's, that's always the thing I tell. You know, that's my go-to quote when I 
talking about the rec- my records to people. It's it literally is. You go to iTunes. It's greatest album of all time or one. This man's going to hell. This <laughs> is not is what country doing? music's about. So it's always averages out to three, which pisses me <laughs> off. Sure, but I love that. I love that there's people passionate. All the one stars, you know, I'm looking at all the one stars, and it's people that, you know, I, there's there's a, there. I mean, there are millions of people out there that I am forever going to be Max Bear. I'm Jethro Bodine. They see me, you know, I am man of constant sorrow yeah. to a to a entire genre of people out there. Well, with that, with the, with that kind of exposure, it's kind of hard not to be. Correct. So this this is funny i i have to laugh because i heard in a couple of comments someone said you know well you know he's he's done it he's sold out and i thought if a man were trying to sell out <laughs> this this would be the well, worst that's, possible that's the formula like, yeah show, show him your bank account you know <laughs> you, you could want you know sell out oh my goodness you know if you're going to sell out you're going to take something that is tried and true and and the right down the center of what's already been done and we and you know like i am so nervous with this one because this is the boy. This is the opposite of a sellout. This is this takes like I this I is understand. I found myself. I don't understand it because I like I would I would love to sell. It. I just don't know how to do it. Right. Like, yeah, if I knew how to, it would be it would be easier. No, with this one, I f- I'm I feel so strongly about this music that I just I'm not con- I'm not concerned. You know, I mean, the people that will like it will like it. The people that won't won't. I encourage everyone to just have an open mind, you know, and say, do you like music? Yes or no. And well, yeah, realize all music evolves. I encourage people to listen to it because it's, it's certain it's like nothing I've ever heard, you know, but it's still got that southern, you know, flavor to it. There are a lot of influences. It's, it's an American quilt of music. I mean, there's you know, if, if you imagine how they made those quilts, all those ladies would get together with their own, you know but they came together to make something, you know, beautiful and precious. I look at this record like that. I mean, the influences, they are from all genres of music. There's no, it doesn't lean on any one thing. And there, you could listen to it and say it's pop. You could say it's country. You could say it's churchy. You could say a lot of things, but it's its its own music. I I, I think we've we've come on one that kind of defies genre. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I can't think of an album to compare it to, you know. Which again, that was biggest, one of the, the things biggest, I loved about it. The biggest that, compliment. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things. That's why I am so passionate about it. I'm, it's it's uh, it's outside of the box and it's new and it's un- we're not trying to say, uh, we're not trying to do anything Which that, is kind that of the opposite has been done of the, of the music you grew up with. Because the thing about that stuff you listen to is, you know, when I go down that rabbit hole, there's 50 other albums, 100 other artists you can you know listen to that. I have you know. spent no kidding. I have spent. Um, 40 years now for 40 years i have played the same bluegrass songs the same arrangement the same way and there are bands that assemble and play entire careers that never play an original song they play i mean that's kind of what you do in bluegrass you honor that stuff that's been there and you recreate those songs i mean you, you, know. you think it's it's stifling sometimes to you know that real traditionalist movement that they can almost become its own kind of clicky kind of you know boy take anyone out there and have them eat the same meal the rest yeah. of their life, man. You you want something else eventually. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, my friends who are kind of in that scene are just like you know. They you know, they're like just give. I need to I need to take a break and just crank Zeppelin for a year. You know. Yeah, I mean, I just see. I've always believed there's so much room for it. Now, I have been, I have worn kind of those bluegrass blinders. I've been. I mean, I've I've played one pretty you know one very specific type of bluegrass music my whole life. You know, that's what I've been into. But man, I love everything. I mean, I just. What are some new albums you're digging? Anything? 
Make well, okay, mind. you're talking to someone who doesn't really do out like this is so weird. I'm a recording artist that doesn't that doesn't collect music. You're still I like mean, that, yeah. I'm still like that. I still don't have a stereo. I still don't have a record collection. I don't. I mean, all the all the music I have is on my phone. I mean, the last thing that I that I checked out like I what I put on to clear, you know, uh, I think like the best of Freddie King. You know, I can listen to that and go somewhere else. I mean, you know, yeah. I, when I listen to that stuff, you know, the, his vocals come from a place very few people on the planet can sing from which is just complete just complete no give a shit like it he, he draws a breath and man i uh I'll, I'll point at that one one more time that freddie king live man that album that's a it's it'll move you i mean there's just no way not to be if that music doesn't move you then wow i don't know where you look um there are there any do you I mean do you listen so do you listen to a lot of live albums? Is that what you listen to a lot of times? No albums. I mean, no recorded music. Mm -hmm. Again, like when I'm home, I can, you know, my, the, I have, you know, in my living room, you know, there's a ukulele, an electric guitar, an acoustic guitar, and a mandolin. Um, in the other room, on a walk, there's a fiddle that lays out. When I wake up, one of those are in my hands. When you want to play, when you want to listen to music, you got to play it. I play it. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny. funny I was listening to the other day. It wasn't even that long ago. It was a Ricky Skaggs live album put out from, some, I think, Charleston somewhere. That's a great record, but, you know, it's different than listening to a record. It's just like, it's like you're there. It's like overhearing a concert. It's rare when I do, but when I do, I'm trying to think of the last live record. There's one with J.D. Crow in the New South and live in Japan back from the mid-'70s when that band was together. And it's not the best mix in the world, you know, when you listen to it, but uh, live music just turns me on. I just, I don't know how to say it. Yeah, so even so if Nashville's I'm going to listen to a record. Oh, man, how do you not love Nashville? Yeah. Well, yeah, I, 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 I grew up in Kentucky, like I said. My mom's from here, though, so we'd be here every week. So, you know, I kind of grew up here in a way. Too. Well, I feel like I grew up in Kentucky. I mean, I get accused of being from Kentucky more than anyone I've, I've ever known. People just automatically assume I'm from Kentucky. I mean, I, I have... I feel like I, there's a part of me that is Kentucky because that's just it where blue, that, it's know, everything I that I grew up with. I grew up, up with love. the license plate with Bluegrass State, but I never really listened. You know, it took me a while to kind of because you always want to rebel against what's around. So it's like it took me a while to kind of get back into that. Yeah, so I think that's I think that's normal. Yeah. Um, but anyway, awesome. Thanks so much for talking to me, man. Hey, I appreciate I, it. Thank you for taking some time to let me talk about this stuff. Oh well, yeah, I love I'm it. So and, happy. Uh, I want people to you know check out the new record and listen to it and. Um, just it's new not, music in general. Yes. I mean, we do. We want them to listen to this new record, but we want people to seek out music. That's what this is about for me. I mean, we want people to be fed by music. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, and pl and playing. Like you said, like a guy who's been on the road for 40 years playing this type of music. A guy from Vermont just fell in love with bluegrass. I love stories like that, you know. Never had a choice, man. It sucked me up when I was very small. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I would say to me too, but I just in a more disturbing way you know <laughs> yeah got it um but yeah i can't thank you enough man I really hey thank you it. so much oh awesome i'm gonna press stop here hold on that'll officially end the interview when the light goes out yeah it's oh, the we don't want junior podcast it's we don't want junior podcast everybody else sucks man i am the best it's we don't want junior podcast anyway that's dan Taminsky. don't forget to come out to the shows on the west coast do you want the dates again? If you're still listening, who's still listening? Tweet me if you're still listening. I want to see who makes it to the end of the podcast. December 3rd, Los Angeles at the Novo. December 4th, San Diego, the Observatory, North Park. December 5th, Santa Ana, the Observatory. December 6th, Phoenix at the Van Buren. 
WheelerWalkerJr.com. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. What else we got? That's about it. Um, Pornhub. Yeah, I, I do have do have my own channel on Pornhub. So check me out on Pornhub. And um, while you're there, check out a v- video and whack off. This podcast is always is brought to you by whacking. Like to jack off? It's pull on your penis till the fucking jizz comes out. And uh, thank you, Masturbation uh, Incorporated, for for uh, promoting this podcast again, giving us all that sweet old masturbation money. Talk to you guys later. See you fuckers later, I mean.